right, welcome back. Here we are. Episode between. Episode 32 for Science in Between, right? 32? Yeah, 32. Woo! So Look at us. Uh, yeah, that's uh, two times a perfect square. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a stretch, friend. That was, Dude, that was... <laughs> I've, I'm just playing along with the Ollie game. You know, it's like... Uh, two times i don't know two times a perfect square what else what else you got what do you got i got nothing for 32 i got nothing at all so there you go i'm ollie that's scott and yeah yeah, there's that okay show's over thanks yeah thanks for tuning in no no this is not the end scott this is just the beginning and here today we're uh this is our uh final episode of discussing the cross-cutting concepts, at least, you know, where we introduce the single cross-cutting concepts. Yeah. Um, yeah we, so, we may have one more episode. We haven't decided yet whether we'll yeah. have a wrap up. We'll see. We'll see where we, we go with Bring this. it all together. For yes. Yeah. So this could either be the final or the penultimate. Mm. Ooh, uh, I think, I I think we actually called the last episode the penultimate. So we have oh. to be careful. Yeah. We can't have two penultimates. Can nope. You? It's already that, confusing what penultimate means. And then if we use it in such a, such a flagrantly uh, yes. misunderstanding sort of way, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see like the, the five-star reviews, they're just falling. Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm going to go re- reassess yeah. because well, they it's misused. Like, it's, like, it's like people penultimate. who use less when they should use fewer. I, like, Ooh. I might be one of those people. I think I probably, do that. You probably are. Many people are. I'm I'm part of the team that has been established, I think basically by my mother, to save fewer from obsolescence. Yeah. So you I want to see that. people saying that less. I know. No, I want I want them to be saying it more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that is not I was an trying instance. To squeeze one in there. It's not no, but that's not an instance. I know. Because it, do you understand the difference? Do you know when you use fewer and when you use less? I feel like you want to tell me. I do want to tell you, but I want to know if you know before I tell you. Well, maybe. Why don't you go ahead? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> it's very it's a very simple heuristic. If if it's something that you can count, then you talk about it as fewer. If it's mm. so you can have less love for somebody. Um, like right now. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think that's what I I was implying. Um, and, uh, but you know, you have, you will give them fewer birthday cards as a result. Mm, yes. I get it now. Okay. All right. Well, so, well, that, that is there, a there, there scintillating is. start to the show. <laughs> That's great. All right. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 I feel like people are just going to take that part of this episode and just make wake it up. Ringtone. Hello. Wake <laughs> Hello. up. Yes. The show's still going. So today, cross-cutting concepts. Uh, if if this is the, you, you just happened to, uh, happened on the episode, cross-cutting concepts. These are the big ideas across uh, different science domains. These are uh, we've we've landed on cognitive gadgets and mm-hmm. cognitive gadgets and to, that tools can, that can help uh, us teach, help students learn um, some of the bigger ideas in in science. And so we've been exploring all of these in different episodes because they're, they're all very distinct. Um, There's a lot of overlap between them um, because there are different ways of seeing different ways of understanding. Um, But, uh, you know, we we did scale proportion and quantity. We did cause and effect. And, you know, you can go back through all the episodes and this is kind of the one we were saving for the last only because 
um, it's such a difficult concept. I mean, this is one that students really struggle with. And I think some, some teachers struggle with too, um, because energy is one of those constructs. It's, it's specifically, it's energy and matter, right? And energy is a very difficult concept for people to understand. And it it's, comes in so many forms. And we have this, you know, this idea, this you know, fundamental idea in science about this conservation of energy, um, but it's really challenging to see it in nature and really challenging for you to see like, you know, it in, and I guess this is where it spills over into the, you know, the, the topic from last week in terms of systems. And it's like, well, what do you find as the system and, you know, energy conserved within it and how does it go out of it and, you know, all that. So, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons, I mean, not that we've been dragging our feet to talk about energy, but it was one where we're like, okay, let's talk about this one instead. And, and here we are talking about energy. It's the last here we are here we are yeah talking about energy yeah i mean i think you know like you say i think one of the one of the complexities to this one is superficially it reads like uh it should be a disciplinary core idea or a combination of a couple of them really right so um you know because energy is a thing that exists in the disciplinary core ideas you know um but i think this i this idea that um energy is really conceptualized very differently across discipline domains and um as a result i don't think matter is but energy is um sure and and so as a result you really have to um you know think about that because um you know biologists don't think about energy the way that chemists do or the way that physicists do or the way that earth and space science people do so so yeah i think i think it is interesting to think about yeah while it is a disciplinary core idea in the way that it appears in many places in, in the, uh, in that part of the standards, it also is something that cuts across and therefore makes sense as a cross-cutting concept. So, but, but splitting those, those, uh, making a distinction between those things is, is sort of probably what we're going to talk about today, uh, and, and an important piece of this. Yeah. Uh, I, let me let me just expand because I think the lens is larger than just energy and matter, right? Yeah. They talk specifically about flows, cycles, and conservation. That's the entire cross-cutting concept. So it's not just about energy, like being able to identify different types of energy or say, oh, it's kinetic, it's potential, gravitational, whatever. Um, but it's talking about flows and cycles and conservations, like how that happens. And specifically, this is what the language says, tracking fluxes. I love that word, flux. Tracking mm-hmm. fluxes of energy energy and matter into, out of, and within systems helps one understand the system's possibilities and limitations. And that's, I think, uh, what makes it that, like that lens is what makes it a cross-cutting concept rather than a disciplinary core idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you probably like flux because of flux capacitor from back to the future. Is that, is that why you like flux? No. Uh, okay. This is going to get geeky it's it's Please. comes down to it comes down to gauss's law right uh, like oh uh, gauss's law right sorry it's just like when i understood gauss's law for the first time it was because i fully understood the concept of flux right and then i was like oh yeah and then i really saw its utility so if you're not a physics person out there you're like going what the crap is gauss's law don't google it it's not going to help you um it has very limited utility in the world it's basically how you know physicists nerd out on electric fields and that's about all you need to know about gauss's law but that was where i my love of the flux concept oh, all right grew. 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. That was, right. uh, you know, you feel closer to me now. Don't yeah. You? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was almost as good as my conversation about less versus fewer, but oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which one, which one lost us more uh, listeners. We'll just have yeah. to find out. We will. We'll, we'll track the metrics. Yeah. So um, just to like build on this just a little bit more, this is some of the stuff from the um, NGSS stuff. It says the ability to examine, characterize, and model the transfers and cycles of matter and energy is a tool that students can use across virtually all areas of science and engineering. And studying the interactions between matter and energy supports students in developing increasingly sophisticated concept, conceptions of their role in any system. So, I mean, there's that, there's that interplay again with the system yeah. concept. So that's, I'm, I mean, I think it's probably good that we, you know, talked about systems last week and talk about energy and matter this week. So there's a, a lot of interplay between that. Yeah. And there, I mean, and a lot of things, um, you know, that we think about in, in science, obviously, are about flows of energy and systems, right? I mean, uh, we, some of the some of the things that we talked about last week, you know, um, the water cycle, sure. the, the quote unquote rock cycle, right? Like the, there, there are, um, you know, the Krebs cycle, like many systems and, and patterns are driven, obviously, by energy and can be defined or thought about in terms of energy. Um, but one of the, so one of the examples that I, I want to just bring up because it, I, I'm constantly reminded of it in, in, um, in the work that I do, which is this idea. So, so I, I try to understand, or part of my work is to try to understand how kids learn geoscience concepts, particularly around plate tectonics. And one of the interesting things that you see that's related to energy is, um, well, those concepts are often taught in earth and space science classes, um, which means they're contextualized with other things, um, often things having to do with the atmosphere. Um, and another thing is, uh, so, so there's atmospheric ways of thinking about energy, and then, and then there's biological ways of thinking about energy. And both of those have interesting ways of saying basically all energy comes from the sun. So when you're talking about the atmosphere, you're thinking mostly about like, okay, well, what drives atmospheric phenomena is really the sun and, and the energy that comes from the sun and biology, you know, they always say, oh, energy comes from the sun because that's what generates the energy that plants grow and plants are the basis of the food system and, or of the ecosystems. Um, so the interesting thing is in geoscience, none of those things are driven by energy from the sun. They're all driven by energy that's internal to the earth. And what this means is that kids have real trouble thinking about energy systems driving plate motion. So they'll say, for example, the reason that um, Hawaii is a volcanic island chain is because it's near the equator and the equator gets a lot of sun. So there's a lot of energy uh -huh. there. So that's where you're going to get volcanoes. And so this like, you know, these sure. chains of logic, you don't think about until you, you start to think, Oh, wait, like they don't understand that this, the energy system that's driving that is actually internal, internal, to the right? external. And uh, yeah, that's a, so I think that's a cool yeah. way of, you know, unpacking that. Cause it's like really interesting. Cause you, um, I mean, let's let's face it. They they really don't have much experience with the things that happen inside the Earth, right? They don't right. have any. I mean, unless they live someplace where there there might be earthquakes or there might be a volcano. Um, when do we come in contact? When does uh, you know the average student come in contact with the things that are happening? You know, you know, thousands of feet, you know, miles down, right? right. Um, 
they just don't. And, and right. so, and it's another thing that, I mean, they, we can see the sun in the sky, right. But our understanding of the, of what's happening inside the earth is based on, you know, other forms of data. Right. And right. so it's not something that we can say here, you know, here, let me show you a picture of this. We can show mm-hmm. models of it. Right. Or we could show right. data to support, you know, our understanding of the, you know, the makeup of the earth, but it's not like we can say here, this is what it looks like. And uh, here we, you know, it rises every day and sets every day like the sun. And, and so it's, it's a lot of that uh, indirect evidence rather than direct evidence. And that's the, I think the challenge for teaching those kinds of concepts. Yeah. Yeah, And it it also gets at this issue of what does it mean for energy to be a cross-cutting concept? Because part of the reason that those kids struggle with understanding energy in the context of geoscience and plate tectonics is because the way energy is taught in other areas, not, right. not because of their own. And all the things you say, I want to be clear, are absolutely true. Like all those things make geoscience difficult. Just even helping them think about the earth as a dynamic system instead of just a landform is very difficult. But you're, but this idea, right, that when, when biology teachers are teaching ecosystems and they say all energy comes from the sun, like they're, they're right. not meaning to tell kids something yeah. that's wrong. And it, and from their point of view, within the context of what they're trying to help kids understand, it's not wrong. It's, it is that the, the system that drives and, and the same way, even within earth and space science classes, again, that, you know, that when they're doing your meteorology unit and you're talking about weather, like you're talking about, yeah, this is all, you know, the water cycle, that's all driven by the sun. All this stuff is driven by the sun. Um, and, and it's important for kids to understand that, but what but, it leads to is yeah, difficulties for other folks. So I think that's one of the other things. I don't know how much we've talked about that. And maybe it's mostly relevant in, in energy and matter because it sort of is on that sort of edge between a cross-cutting concept and a disciplinary core idea. But this, this issue of one of the other reasons that cross-cutting concepts are important is so that you can not only use them as a bridge between disciplines, but also so that you don't inadvertently create problems for other disciplines, right? So um, so understanding how other subdomains in science use these ideas can help you more appropriately use them in your subdomain so that so that those connections can be built on later. Yeah, so the the challenge though is that you know, while these are like fundamental documents that are trying to, you know, drive the field, they're like the impact on like, you know, an individual teacher who, who's going and saying all energy, you know, a biology teacher, all energy mm-hmm. is coming from the sun. And, uh, and, and they're either what they're teaching, you know, on a random Tuesday, that's probably applicable, right, for them to talk about you know, whatever, like, you know, some biological, you know, maybe a plant growing or, you know, the, right. um, you know, but right. the, the challenge is that by saying that, that steps into these other fields and really steps on students because they're going to come into this next class. They're going to come into, you know, the, you know, the earth science class, or they're going to, earth system science, sorry. That, mm, yeah. uh, uh, well done. Good catch. Yeah. Um, or they're going to come into the chemistry class with that understanding and and it's going to be pervasive and so mm-hmm. not that we want to have you know uh people policing these things but how do we how do we create that change so that and i guess that's the idea with the cross-cutting concept is it's supposed to be driving that but they rather than offering 
suggestions, they're basically just pointing to a, to the North Star and saying, this is where we want to go. And you guys have to figure out how to get there. Right. And, yeah. and, and so I don't see a whole lot of conversations on how that's happening. Like, you know, like, instead of talking about it this way, let's as a field talk about it this way. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and maybe that's where we need to go. Yeah. I mean, I think, but, but it also points out a, a fundamental challenge that, um, that has, has been a, a, a difficulty within science, I think for its history in K-12, which is this division into subdomains um, right. is deep, right? Which is to say that like you and I, who are prepared as physics teachers, like the last time we took a biology or a chemistry course was probably in high school. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so the, so you're not, if you really want these connections to be authentic, and then we really have to think about all sorts of changes. Like, how do we think about preparing teachers better um, so that they understand some something across these different subdomains? Like, it's been one of the things that's held up, you know, sort of integrated or spiraling or other sorts right. of curriculum, as opposed to this very siloed version of this is physics, this is chemistry, is that, you know, people are not prepared as generalists. Um and and as a result, they see their domain as as its own thing, um, and that that can be really hard uh, when when it comes to the cross cutting concepts. Well, that's that's interesting. That's a really good uh, entryway into some of the research we wanted to talk about today. Because mm. one of the one of the things that we were talking about prior to starting the episode was this this research article about uh, switching from energy conversion to talking about it from you know, uh, systems and transfer, right? Like energy transfer. And it sounds like a subtle difference, but it's actually a little bit more significant than that. But one of the areas that, you know, the, and this is, uh, you know, from friends of yours, these are actual friends of yours. These are people you actually know. These are people I actually know. They're not right. Rather than like friends of the show, like the rapper Izzy new. Right. Uh, But the, um, the, the one challenge they cite in the article with using this different approach is individual teachers' understandings of energy transfer broadly that goes beyond their discipline, beyond the disciplinary, you know, content areas. Like I'm a physics person, but you have to think about it more broadly. And that was one of the real limitations to, you know, adopting, uh, you know, this transfer model rather than a conversion model. So you want to, you want to talk a little bit more, more about this this because like the, the this is uh some research and we could put it in a show, show notes it's, yeah, what's cool sure. about it is that this is a uh this is an article that's been open it's open source so it's open access sorry um yes. so that we can easily share it even though it's something that just appeared in you know uh what is it in jars like two years ago um so it talks uh specifically it's systems transfer and fields evaluating a new approach to energy instruction. So and these are you know folks that you know. Right? Yeah, so well yeah, a couple of them. One was here, your right? TA, right? Isn't that what you're saying? Yeah, right. Look so, at that. So Woo. Jeff Nordine and and uh <clears throat> was when I was at Michigan was uh worked with me when I was teaching uh pre-service teachers there. Um yeah. And, uh, and David Fortas was, uh, um, for a while an office mate and, a and, a um, a, uh, colleague of mine or, a, a a friend of mine still is a friend of mine. Both these guys are friends of mine. So I just was exchanging email with actually both of them in the past week. So that's interesting that that turns uh, out yeah. to have happened. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, they have um, these among others. I mean, they, they've worked with Joe Krejcik for years and uh, Knute Newman, who's uh, also an author on this paper has been part of this group and they've, they've been developing not only um, research around this, but also assessments to help assess kids. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to look at um, developing assessments that, um, for cross-cutting concepts that cut that that allow you to sort of build over time, um, kids to to understand kids' ideas building over time, right? So this is one of the challenges of assessing cross-cutting concepts is this idea of how do you think about like what should a you know what what would you like a ninth grader to to be able to explain using cross-cutting concepts, and how might you look to see for improvement? Like how do you look to see that? like a 12th grader has a better understanding of the cross-cutting concept of energy than a ninth grader. Cause that's a, that's hard. You have to right. design an assessment that really is cuts across domains, right? So it may begin with questions about biology because a lot of kids take biology in ninth grade, but you know, later in their academic career, you've got to ask questions that are contextualized in chemistry or physics and try and figure out like, okay, how do I look for energy or energy and matter or systems or transfer or whatever, however you're going to conceptualize it? How do you look for that across grade levels? And I think, you know, they've been doing really interesting work around trying to figure that out. And they, and not on this article, but also doing work with them is Aaron Furtock, who's at, at the University of Colorado. And, and I think, you know, they, they're really trying to grapple with the challenges of assessing, um, assessing cross-cutting concepts. So this is, and they've, they've always been sort of, well, always, energy has been something that, that uh, David and Jeff have been interested in for, for quite a while. So, this so is, they went right after the, like the, the most challenging concept in science education, right? Exactly. They just went right after the, you know, the big dog, right? That's great. That's right. Good for them. Three props to them, you know? Yes. That's three, awesome. Wait, what'd you say? Free three props? Three yeah. props. Three. Is that, a, is that a thing? Well, we do this. Well, we could talk about that later, but okay. is a, we do, we do a thing in our, well, I guess I'll talk about it now. We do a, a thing in our you. house where it's like three claps, like whenever, you know, like three yeah. snaps. Do you do three, three snaps? Or no? no, just usually claps no, and props claps. and things, props, okay. you know? Okay. So okay. it's, it's, it was something that, you know, a, a local school does uh, to whenever they're introducing people, they just go, you're limited to three claps. You can do three. And so it's like three claps, four, and it's like three claps. And that's all you can do so that they, people don't go on these big, so huge interrupts. Right. Things, yeah. And so um, it's become part of our little group vernacular. And so oh they're, yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe we need to, uh, you know, have that be a rule for the show too. So people who are in the audience, like when we come on and do something great, we'd like you to just clap the three times because we don't, we, you know, we don't want you to interrupt your day. You know, you may be mowing the lawn or something when you're listening to it. And so you, 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 just, you don't have the time to applaud for to hours. To do a full applause. Right. Yeah. So, so the three claps lets us know that you're listening yeah. and that you care. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's right. Well, I mean, they, so they go after the, you know, the big dog, the, 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 ener- right. the, the, the big concept of, 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 of energy. And I think that the, to come back to the, you know, the, the transfer versus the, the systems approach. So the transfer would be like, okay, so it's, it's, 
Uh, well, actually, let's talk about conversion because that's the more typical, more traditional way. Right. So like if we, you know, a pendulum swinging, right? And this is in the article, a pendulum swinging is, a, you know, a lot of conversion from kinetic energy to, to potential energy and maybe some loss that happens in that process too that might be going to thermal energy. There's energy loss to heat, right? So we have this, you know, as it cycles back and forth, this pendulum swings, you know, it's kinetic energy and then it's potential energy and it's kinetic energy and potential energy swinging back and forth. And so that's a, that's converting from back and forth and back and forth. Whereas, you know, the transfer model sounds very similar, but what they're focusing on is, okay, so it is kinetic energy that's being transferred, right? But it's, it's slowing, that's slowing down. And so then that, that it's raising in height. And so with those focuses on what is transferring from place to place focuses more on some of the uh, intrinsic concepts that are inherent to what makes kinetic energy, kinetic energy and what, so it's not a, a taxonomy as a, like here identifying, you know, kinetic energy, identifying potential energy. It's now looking at some of the more root processes, root concepts that are inherent in those energy types. And I think that, and what, what they show is from in the, in the article that we'll share in the show notes that uh, it leads to better understanding broader understanding of energy um, through the assessments they used. And they were comparing it to a a unnamed traditional uh, Mm. curriculum, unnamed. They, Mm. they used, uh, they used a pseudonym for this curriculum. I guess it must be something that. um, They didn't want to throw under the bus. Right. So if the truth be told. What would be interesting if it was something that like maybe one of the authors had actually developed in the past, right? That would be interesting. And that, that yeah. might, uh, that's not completely without reason, right? No, no, uh, it's no. entirely possible, especially amongst this group that they, they sure. have a, a pre-existing curriculum that focused on energy that they're, that they're comparing to. That's interesting. That's an interesting hypothesis. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing I'll say just at, that we'll also put in the show notes. So predating this, um, Jeff uh, edited a book from NSTA called teaching energy across the sciences K to 12. So, so as I said, they've sort of been the energy nerds for a while, and this is just, um, an, an, well, I don't know which one's an extension of which, right. But, but that book, um, I think does a nice job of, um, you know, helping you think about exactly what we've been talking about, which is what do you do across these different areas to help students think about energy in ways that are productive and lead to making connections across discipline. Right. So, um, so, you know, to, to what Ali was just talking about, like this idea of uh, transformation being um, the, the way to think about it, right. It focuses on, I mean, one of the, one of the difficulties in traditional ways of thinking about energy is we focus on the kinds of energy that we think are important. And then we just sort of say, Oh, that other stuff just is happens. Right. So with your example with kinetic and potential, when, when we, when I taught that as a physics teacher, like I really just focused on those two Two, things. right. Right. So I didn't, I didn't really say like, okay, this is a system and the amount of energy can't change. Well, I probably said that a bunch of times, but we didn't actually talk about what that meant. You sort of get hand wavy about the, Oh, well, you know, the kinetic increases as, as the pendulum swings down and then it decreases as it swings up and the potential is in the opposite. And that's all you focus on. And you don't say, well, wait a minute, what's happening 
with the other energy because right. it's and and so this idea of transforming like focuses on the idea that this energy has to go has to become some other form right, right. it can't just dissipate um, because we sort of think of, and probably even as a physics teacher I talked about it that way right like it just sort of is lost um, and and that idea of like losing energy is is really um, pernicious right and we don't want to we don't want kids thinking about energy with that way we always want them thinking about like well if it has less energy of the kind that I can recognize then it must have must. some other kind of energy somewhere yeah. and how do I figure out what that energy is yeah and and this is i think the the they they say it, the form of energy being transferred is irrelevant so they don't care that it's kinetic energy they don't care it's potential energy they're just saying you know it, the, the there's just energy and the, right. and it's what's important is recognizing what where what how do we identify the constituent parts of the energy without yes. naming it right so right. Kinetic energy comes from motion, so that it's moving, it's slowing down. So it's it's there's energy, and that and as that's losing that energy, it's actually being transferred to this thing. And so it's it's looking at it more as a system, right? And uh, without necessarily just naming things, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have this nice diagram where they they have like this pie charty thing showing the pendulum, right? Right. Yeah. And that's the that's and, the traditional approach, right? That's yeah. the traditional, and and they want to uh, take a, a a more system, more transfer approach. What I which I think is really novel because I you know w- the way I taught it you know with kinetic and potential is like I would draw these big, huge you know fun roller coasters, right? And yeah, I would just pick fun. right, and I would just pick places on it where they would draw like a like a bar graph where they would go okay here's it at the top of the hill and they had to like do little bar graphs as as and you know more potential here Mm -hmm. you know and work at that connect here and and so on so it was you know really to try to drive that concept but it was focusing on just those two types and nothing else right and and um you know, I had to keep going back and 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 building that. Okay, well, this is uh, potential energy because it's it's height. We're only going to focus on the height, and we're going to focus on the the motion. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, I was trying to get them back to you know where the energy comes from, um, or where how do we identify it? But really, it was about the naming and um, and and the system to me was just you know the the roller coaster, and it yeah. wasn't anything else. And often in addition to the naming was the calculating, right? So physics is right. great on that. So it's like, well, you know, the height and you know, M and you know, G, so you right. can calculate what the potential energy is here and, and you know, the speed. So you can also calculate the connect and it's like, okay, so, so you've, you've now narrowed their focus down to this idea of energy as um, something that I can measure in each place of these two different kinds, but losing the whole idea that, of what really makes the, what you really, I mean, you and I both did the same exercise, right? Sure. But what, what you're really trying to do is help them understand that the energy in the system is constantly shifting from one kind to another, right? That there's this constant transfer of energy moving around. And, and instead what you end up teaching them is like, well, we're going to pick all these individual points and calculate right. the energy at that point. And so they, they end up learning it as a disconnected set of dots that doesn't help them actually understand the core idea that you're trying to get them to understand. 
And you know, it's when, when that really came to like a head, when it really came, comes to fruition, when you recognize the challenge with it. And for me, it was, you know, we do this like culminating activity where uh, at the different schools I would teach, I would take the kids to an amusement park at the, you know, at the end of the year. Cause there was, I was always, gonna, I was waiting for that. Right. No, it was the thing, right. You would take, they would do physics days at, you know, at, when I was in teaching in the Pittsburgh area, it was Kennywood park. And then I was teaching in central Pennsylvania. It was Hershey park. They would Hershey have these, park. Right. And they would do physics days. Right. And you'd yeah. come in and you'd come with your little accelerometers and, you know, your, you know, different tools and mm-hmm. you'd measure things. And and so what yeah. ends up happening is it becomes an exercise to show how little you've really taught them about the bigger system. Right. Because they that all the numbers were just, ne- they would never work out. They would never, yeah. right. They, they, in any time there'd be, you know, okay, there's lots of energy lost, right? You could and, see the hands waving. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like you're waving the hands. Like, right. yeah, I know. Pretend that didn't happen. Right. And, and so you really find out that you're taking a very limited view on the overall system and the overall transfer of energy that's happening in a real situation. Cause you're focusing on just these two little aspects that often the corner of the energy, you know, broader terrain, right? It's, yeah. it's a much broader terrain than we focus on with, you know, kinetic energy and potential energy. I mean, sometimes we just go, well, it's lost to friction, right? But that's yeah. just like, oh, that's hand waving. That's all yeah, it is. That's totally it's just hand waving. Right. And, and that I think is why, you know, a more transfer approach I think is, is gives you a broader picture. It gives you a broader picture and it's a better tool, you know, yeah. and that's, that's the, the, the challenge. Well, and it, and it, and it naturally allows you to cut across subdomains, right? Cause you yeah. can think about like, okay, well, if we're talking about a chemical reaction, let's think about it in terms of the energy there. Like how is energy being moved around or, and, and how is that, but that total amount isn't changing. So what's happening like that, if it's, if it's a, an, a reaction that is bringing energy into it because it needs that energy to, to have the reaction occur, then that means that energy is coming from somewhere. So where's that energy coming from? And it starts to get them really thinking about like, okay, you know, and again, this is what I think, subtly makes energy in this framing a cross-cutting concept because it isn't about how do you calculate energy, right? Which is what we were just talking about, which is like the physics uh, version of this um, where, okay, I know how to calculate potential energy of different kinds. Here's elastic potential energy. Here's gravitational here. You know, I can calculate the energy of a spring and blah, blah, blah. So you're constantly learning how to calculate stuff, but you're not understanding on some sort of deep conceptual level that, um, that, you know, there, that really what energy is about is this way of thinking about systems and how they interact and evolve over time. Um, and that is really the cross-cutting concept idea that, that leads, that leads into, or is driven by this notion that they're talking about in terms of transfer. Yeah, it's it's interesting you talk about the the you know calculation because one of the you know in in preparation for our, our episode today I was you know doing a little you know a little searching a little and I came across this. Um, I love the this, ones where you prepare, by the way, Ollie. I I know I know you. Well, you know I want to come and you know contribute. You know, I, and, I love that. I love I love that you prepare. I so this this uh these researchers and it's from physics and and so i i'm gonna present this but i'm also going to challenge it because 
um, what they did, and this is a, a recent article in like a, a review of physics education, mm-hmm. uh, physical review, physics education research, and uh, we'll share it in the in the show notes. And what they did, these researchers, and I don't mean to poo-poo them or or, or throw oh, them under the bus po- or anything. Wait, poo-poo the recurring character? Yes, is it is. I did. Look at you. <laughs> and so what they did was these these folks looked at uh, the uh, next generation science standards, and they looked for uh, what they're calling the constituent ideas mm-hmm. of energy that are related specifically to physical science, which I, I, I would argue right there is, you know, defi- like really defying the whole idea and purpose of the cross-cutting concept. Yeah. Um, but one of which is the mathematis- mathematization. I always have trouble with those kinds of words. That's a tough word. Uh, the mathematization. No, I still didn't get it. Mathematization. There you go. That word yeah, right that there. One. But, you know, these are one of the 11. So they're talking conservation, tracking, forms, observables, transformation, uh, transfer. I don't know how transfer and transformation are. They're both in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this idea that we're just going to, you know, mathematize it, right? That we're going to make it all. Yeah. That's a really important concept from these researchers. And, and I think it's, it's probably a pretty important concept to physics people in general, because that's what we try to do is we try to take concepts and put them into mathematical formulas so that for some reason it gives us a little bit more, you know, utility, I guess. I don't know. Um, but then what they use this as a, as a entree into looking at different ways of, of, you know, looking at energy through things like bar charts, which we talked about, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and, and they also looked at energy flow diagrams and energy tracking diagrams right mm. which i think is the is is actually kind of you know hints a little bit to the the work from you know fortis yeah. and at all is that what they're do, trying to do is they're trying to track the energy from you know thing to thing but they come back to you know the taxonomy you know what they're tracking it from kinetic to potential to you know and at, to thermal or whatever. And that I think is, you know, comes back to the limitations. Um, but I, I just thought it was interesting that they, you know, broke it down to these 11 constituent ideas, right? It's like yeah. kind of missing the point of the cross cutting concept is that if we're going to take and develop our own language, right. Of yep. specific to physics. And I, I would think that the, where they would think it would be okay if like some biological researchers would do this too and say, well, let's come up with the constituent ideas in biological science. And it's like, okay, what well, we don't need more language. We need yeah. less, we need more common language and less disciplinary specific language. Right. Yeah. And so that's, well, and this, yeah, this is a, this pattern. Um, and I'm not trying to throw anybody out of the bus here either, but right. there is, there are, you know, so, this we're going to go into the weeds just for a second here for the for the science education nerds in the crowd, right? So science education as a field is different than physics education, chemistry education, biology sure. education, right. and and the fundamental difference is that the people who do work in 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 those discipline focused areas, almost always their background is they have a PhD in the field, so they're they're a PhD biologist who's doing research usually in undergraduate contexts. Um, as opposed to people who are in science education, who the majority, not exclusively, but are social scientists, essentially. So they're like you and me, right? They have maybe undergraduate degrees or maybe even master's degrees in their discipline, but their PhD or their, their research training was in a social science. And as a result, you see very different approaches to research, even though it sounds like physics education should be right 
the same kind of work that people do in science education. It's actually its own little community and it has its own norms. And, and one of the norms is that, um, they don't often read science education, right? They read within physics education and therefore, uh, they're limited by that. Yeah. So like if you were a physics teacher and you wanted to read the, you know, the, the main journal, like the flagship journal for physics education, which is the physics teacher, you yeah. know, they're going to have very different types of articles that are going to appear in there than something like the JARST, which is the Journal of Research and Science Teaching. And right. that is, those are very different approaches. Um, and it's that I think creates some of the challenges, even though like things like the NGSS and, and you know, these are, uh, go across both of these, you know, journals and, you know, communities, discourse communities uh, uh, and communities of practice. Yeah, look at uh, you. I know, but um, was that esoteric when you did it, that? I'm just, I, I don't yeah. know. I think, I think that, you know, discourse communities and communities of practice are becoming much more common vernacular in education. I think All that's right. something that we, uh, I, I'm certainly seeing in, in my work with K to 12 teachers that they are talking a lot about communities of practice now. And that's a, that's a great thing. Um, because I think it's a, it's a, although that probably would not be something, uh, that would come up in much in like physics teacher, um, maybe, I don't know. No. Well, I mean, I think I, again, we don't have to go too deep down this road and, and, um, we got to get to joy here soon, but, um, but it, it, one of the common things that you'll see that differentiates discipline-based education research from, um, which, uh, which is what we're talking about when we say like physics ed, bio ed and chem ed from science ed is they tend not to have theoretical frameworks for their work. They tend sure. not to identify how they think about learning. They take that as, as um, read in, in the way that in physics journals, they don't always explain like, okay, let me explain Newton's laws to you, which we're going to use in this paper. It's like, well, no, of course they don't do that. They don't, every time they publish a paper, they don't talk about quantum mechanics. But that's because everybody sort of agrees that this is the way the world operates. Whereas um, in social science, there's a lot of disagreement about what learning is, how to measure it. And, um, and as a result, it's important that you state how you view that stuff when you're doing research in that area. And in, in their defense, as you were talking, I just scrolled to the end and looked at the citations mm. and they do reference the communities of practice, you know, um, Wenger. And they also... Uh, I, I'm going to call this person a friend of the show, even though we haven't mentioned it. Mark Winchell, friend oh, of the Mark show. Mark Winchell, friend of the yeah. show, totally and friend I, of the show. So I would think that's really in our sort of socio-cultural way of looking at, at science education, right? I mean, but yeah, at but least they they're like, si- uh, they, I know, I was going there. It. They, they did, they did. They did. They ci- they're citing it. But even though, you know, the what we're looking at may not be the best representation of or the application of those concepts, right? I'd, I'd even just like to read the sentence where they cited it to see whether I would say, oh, God. Yes. Ah. Yeah. But, you know, because it's either a gloss or it's a misunderstanding is my guess. I'm being a horrible person right now. So you're seeing the right. worst possible side of me right now. I don't uh, know. And, is this the worst possible side of you? I don't uh, know. It's maybe in the top 10. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably not the worst possible side. Right. But um, yeah. Well, enough enough dragging uh, of, of the discipline-based uh, education research community. Let's move on to things that bring us joy. And I think right. since this is an even episode, what does that mean? Is it my turn? I don't, I don't know. I think I don't I'm know. a uh, – I, I don't know. Okay, you go first. All right. So uh, real quick, um, the White Stripes – 
I mm-hmm. uh, got the greatest hits album. It just came out. Uh, I think it came out right before Christmas, but it's, uh, we, I just got it myself. Uh, it's awesome. It is a double album. We, I got it on vinyl cause it's just fantastic. And uh, the, if you're not familiar with the white stripes, I mean, everybody's familiar with the white stripes because you hear that seven nation army song at every sporting. Right. You know, it. that's the little seven, that's the little white stripes right there. A little seven nation army, but uh, they, it covers much more of, you know, the, 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 not just the hits, but there are some other ones that are, you know, maybe not their greatest hits, even the though it's a great hits up. But there are some deep cuts on there that I just like, oh, yeah, that's a great song. And so definitely check out uh, the White Stripes uh, greatest hits. If if you want to check it out on Spotify, do that. Um, but yeah. But you greatest. recommend vinyl is what you're saying. I do like the vinyl. It's the, you know, I just got a new record flare. It is awesome. And mm. I got you know, at some point we'll talk record players, but this is not the time to do that. No, yeah. it's not. Okay. Well, that's a great recommendation. I love, I love those guys. Stripped yeah. down rock and roll, baby. That's it is. It's stuff. like a guitar and a drum set and that's it. It's two people and like seeing them, like I, I get sucked into watching videos of them. I mean, they, mm. they, they haven't played together in like probably like a decade or more. And just seeing Meg White on the drums, just like going crazy. And then Jack White up there on, on the guitar and then going through all the, like the pedals to like get all the sounds. It's they're brilliant. They're brilliant. Ah, yeah, they're so awesome. good. Yeah. Sorry. It's a shame. It's a shame they didn't stay together, but yeah, this is the way the world works. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to go back to sort of our earlier traditions uh, of podcast recommendations. Um, but I'm, I'm going to recommend this one because the guy who runs this podcast just came out with a new book. Um, so Tim Harford is uh, has a podcast on the Pushkin um, network, which is, which is Malcolm Gladwell's yeah. uh, little joint and um the the podcast is called cautionary tales and it's great it's it's uh you know about well what it sounds like right so when things get wrong go wrong how do you deal with them and how do different people deal with them and what are the underlying reasons that things go wrong um and it's sort of a one of those underlying psychology podcast things like what is it about people that make them make these kinds of choices um but he just came out with a new book called Data Detective, um, which is related to this, which is um, um, I haven't read it yet. I have to admit, I, it just came out. But um, but it's he I've heard him talk about it and he talks about it in terms of really what this is, what he's trying to recommend is that people be curious um, about claims when they see them in the public sphere. And I think the book, I think Cautionary Tales lines up with the way that we think. Um, you and I think, but I think this data detective is even more like in our wheelhouse in terms of science education and, and, and in particular, how science education intersects with, with public and civic engagement. Like how do people make decisions about, is this, you know, should I get vaccinated? Right. Should I wear a mask? Like these kinds of things, um, like trying to think about how do you analyze claims that you're hearing? Because these claims are, happening from all different spheres in all right. different ways. And so I think, you know, again, I haven't read the book, but I'm confident based on what I know about Tim Harford, that it's going to be an interesting read. Um, but so that's my recommendation, anything by Tim Harford, but in particular, let's say cautionary tales and his new book data detective are, I give, I give thumbs, up, thumbs up and say, go get it now pre-order it i don't know it's probably it's not pre-orderable anymore now. Uh, yeah it's out. yeah cautionary tales is great that's a great cautionary podcast tales. yeah 
That's good a good stuff. app. And I see a lot of the podcasts that fall into that, under that Pushkin Industries is kind of like they have yeah. that same sort of like vein. It's like, how do we use this to, to inform action and, you know, and thinking and, yep. you know, whereas yeah. like my daughter's into like these, you know, crime, true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, what, do, what is that? I don't know. Not to, not to poo poo the uh, uh, true crime. <laughs> no, there it is. Uh, but uh, it's just, I don't know. It, it feeds a different part of people. Right. Yeah. 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 But you know, maybe we'll have recommendations in that vein uh, in the future, but sure. you'll have to tune in to find out because yeah. we're not going to tell you. Yeah. Until then, then until then, right. This is Ollie. And this is Scott. This is science in between. See you and next we'll, time. We'll see you in between. Yeah. Yeah. All right.